Hey, let me, um, would you turn in your Bibles real quick to Colossians chapter 1? There's black Bibles around the room. Um, feel free to go to the table of contents. Just find your way to Colossians chapter 1. I want to read this, and, and uh, I'll explain this in a bit. This is going to be just kind of background track for where I'm going this morning, which is telling our church's origin story. This is what Paul writes to the church in Colossae about 62 A.D., He writes to them saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He then prays, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world this gospel is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Last week we spent time here. Paul just... He's reveling in the beauty of Jesus Christ, and he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all or over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Christ and for Christ, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or supreme first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He, Jesus, is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you, church, holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." 
He continues, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. This mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul says, it's him who we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, or for this I work. Notice this, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's word. Father, would you make it clear to us as this is just a setting tone uh, for this morning. Would, would you call the words of this scripture to our minds as I orient us, the, the people who have been here for quite some time and the people who are new with us this Sunday, as I orient our church, help us to remember who we are and what we're about and where we have come from. Lord Jesus, have your way with us this morning. Fill us with your spirit. Give us understanding for your glory and for certain for our good. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our stories, um, they matter. Now, I only have one hand here, so this makes things way more difficult. But give me just a second. Let me set this up. It can be helpful for us to know our history. Um, Our family histories explain who we are. Our family histories help orient um, why we are how we are in many ways. We've been shaped by our families of origin. Um, It can be helpful to know our history, our medical history, because our medical history can help explain why we face what we face and what to do about our health in the future, things that we want to look into and make sure are checked. Our our community history um, shapes um, the area that we inhabit and how we inhabit it. When we buy houses in an area and, and work and build friendships and raise our children in an area, these areas like Post Falls and Hayden and Coeur d'Alene and Washington, they have, um, they have histories and it can be helpful for us to know the values of the people who inhabit our communities. And, and certainly national history explains our cultural values and the lenses by which Americans in particular see the world, just as um, Chinese and Iranians see the world through their particular lenses as well. And then world history, it can be helpful for us to know and to understand world history because world history explains cultural developments. It explains national borders and why they are set up where they are set up. And it also helps to explain human advancement throughout the ages. It it serves us really well to know our history, to know anthropology. 
Um, You've probably heard this often quoted line by a guy named George Santayana. He said this in 1905, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It's important for us to know where we have come from as a means to shaping our future and avoiding some of the mistakes of our past as we live into our future. Uh, uh, An American poet named Carl Sandburg, um, he lived in the 19th uh, century. He said, um, when a society or a civilization perishes, one condition can always be found. They forgot where they came from. Now, it seems logical to me. That seems true. I'm not sure that that sociologically is fact. Logically, it does make sense. When we lose our bearings on where we have come from, it, it does make sense that we would not be thinking about our future. Now, that's, that's big picture here. And what I want to do this morning is connect uh, the great big story Uh, of what God has been doing in his world to our great small story here as a church community at All of Life. And uh, we need to know the continued story of how God has been working among his people in the world that he has created. Church history is vitally important. And we saw last Sunday and then this Sunday in Colossians 1, Jesus, this creator of heaven and earth, that's shorthand for the cosmos, He is the center of world history, and he's the center of church history. And so we, as a community, we need to know our story. We're a young community. We're a young church, just seven years old. But we are also, you and I, collectively, as a community, we're caught up in this big story that God is writing. And so last week, um, we, we recognized that our stories are wrapped up in God's big story and the story of Jesus Christ. And I mentioned that if, if not for Jesus, none of us would have been gathering here together. If not for Jesus Christ, you and I would not be in the same room on a Sunday morning on November 20th like we are today. We wouldn't have been here last week on the 13th, and we won't be here next week on the 27th, if not for Jesus Christ, uniting his people, drawing us together, doing something profound in us. And so as I tell our church's story and as we think about our individual stories, I really do, I think it's wise for us to know we want the real Jesus of Colossians chapter 1 to be the center of our individual stories and our communal story. We want him to be the hero because that is his rightful place. It's not you, it's not I, and it's in his story that our stories find purpose and meaning. And so the reality is this, that our community exists to give people exposure to the Jesus of Colossians chapter 1. That's why we exist. We exist to help introduce people to his reality And we exist not only to give people exposure, but also to give people safety, the safety that they need and the time that they need as they're trying to just wrestle down. Do I I trust him? Do I believe that he really is the center of world history? And all of us are different, and all of our timelines around how that works for us and our intellect and what we have been through and what we are processing in our age and our season of life, we're all different. And so we need different amounts of safety as individuals, and we need different amounts of time as well, to behold the real Jesus of Colossians 1, to believe him and to take him at his word, and then to gladly belong 
to him. And that's our hope. If you're not a follower of Jesus, our hope is that you would come to discover that he, re- he is a historical man who has really lived perfectly, who has died in your place, who has been raised from the dead, and who rules over all things for his glory and for your good, not just in this day and age, but for eons, for millennium, for time that cannot be measured, for eternity. Our hope is that you would know him and that you would meet him and that you would come to believe him. Now, the language that I've been using for us to, uh, as we move into this new space and we, we occupy this building um, using this property, the, the language that I've been using is same book, new chapter. Same story that we're wrapped up in as a church family, but it is a new chapter. And so for the last seven years, we've had a building at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and before that at the Post Falls Nazarene Building. We had a building to gather in on Sundays, but then we had to go and do our creative work and our mid-sized gatherings and our small gatherings in other spaces. And so for the last five or six years, we've rented the Post Falls Chamber of Commerce, and we've called it the Hub, and I've office there, and Trevor has, and then we've had some mid-sized gathering space there as well. And now for the very first time as a community, we're in seven years, we're occupying one space full-time, which opens up new opportunities for us to gather here for training, for various gatherings of different sizes, for celebration, and for service to our community. Believe it or not, we have not been able to use a parking lot in the past for community events at our other gathering spaces. That has been off limits to us. And so now we've got 140 parking spaces and we can set up some shop for these community events like the Christmas, the giving trees and, and be able to just serve people well and let them know that there's a church here who, who loves them. We still are who we are. We still are what we are about and what we have been about, but we're in a new space. Same book, same story, new chapter. And so today is going to feel a bit different from uh, typical Sundays. We're a church who, I just want you to know this and reiterate this, we are a church who gathers around God's Word. His Word is central to us. Um, We try really hard around here to let the Scriptures have their place in our gathering, that we would encounter the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and let the Scriptures who reveal God set tone and guide us. And so if you're new with us this morning, you're new with us in the last couple of weeks, that's how we roll 50 plus Sundays a year. And so Colossians 1 that I've just read um, is setting the tone, but I do want to tell our origin story as a church community in light of Colossians 1, because there are people who have been here with us since day one, part of our core team, and then there are people here where week number one, uh, this is week number one for you, and we are grateful that you are here and that you are with us. A question that I get asked often is, how in the world did you decide to start a church? What's the origin story? How did this actually happen? And the reality is that it more happened to us than was something that we just decided to do. 
Like we found ourselves caught up in the story that God was writing, compelled from the inside by the change that we had begun to experience that other people needed to hear and to understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And, 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 that, and that God was uniquely using us in our time and season to do something about that. And, and so I just want to tell a little bit of my own story. If you're unfamiliar with, with who I am, um, I grew up in Coeur d'Alene. My name is Jared Light. I grew up in Coeur d'Alene. It's interesting. My mom gave birth to me on a Sunday morning, and the next Sunday we were gathering with the local church. And so I grew up as a church kid. Uh, I loved it. I loved being able to run the halls and play hide-and-seek and be a part of kids' like kids ministry stuff in the classrooms. And I just, I grew up loving church. I loved Jesus. I had a sense that I knew him, but I'm also, I, as, a, as a young guy, I'm also drawn to sports. I'm drawn to girls. I'm drawn to skateboarding and snowboarding and music. And I have these like strong desires within me to fit in in my social circles, in my schools, and I had a strong desire um, to find pleasure. And these desires to fit in and find pleasure were intense. And I gave in to them for the next decade of my life. From about 15 years old to about 25 years old, I'm just putting my hands to whatever promises me pleasure. Many of you probably don't know this. I had a dream of uh, playing music and touring full-time, and I did that for, I didn't tour, but I'm I was like really into singer-songwriter stuff and writing my own music and, and really had a dream that I wanted to tour and record. And you'll laugh at me for this, but I bought a hippie van when I was 19 years old, and like it was a pop-top 1969 Ford Econoline van with the full camper set up inside. And I lived in it full-time for four or five months, and I just traveled the West Coast and played music and camped and just lived in this, in this van. And I would work at ski resorts, uh, and then I'd work at national parks in the summertime. And like a lot of 20-somethings, I'm just looking for myself. I'm trying to figure out in these like formative years, who am I? But my own personal experience is that search was really elusive, I was having a hard time finding myself. I've, I realized, like, wherever you go, Jared, there you are. Like, the new place isn't the, isn't the new beginning, per se, because I keep following myself around flaws and all until Jesus Christ found me. And that, for me, at about 24 years old, was a profound moment for me where I, I, I shifted. And I'll tell you about that in, in just a minute. Um, so I'm, I find myself back here in Coeur d'Alene in 2003. I'm about 24 years old. I run into my, an old buddy that I grew up going to high school with. His name is uh, Brian Parker. We were in youth group together, and he had become a youth pastor of a local church in the area, and they just planted it. It's called True North out in, in Hayden, and I run into him like at Albertsons or something like that. He invites me out to coffee, and we connect, and we uh, strike up a friendship again, and he's like, hey, I, we've got a, a, a youth group winter retreat coming up. We're going to go skiing at 49 degrees north. We're going to spend a couple of days um, out and, and just like doing youth stuff, snow games. Like we'll have a teacher there and everybody's going to be hanging out. And he's like, I'm shorthanded. Would you mind just kind of leaving like 
naughty you behind and come and just give me some extra hands on deck? And, and I said yes to that. And I show up. It's a Waits Lake Bible camp in Washington, north of Spokane. And I start having this like deja vu of good times as a kid in high school and in youth group. But what is more important is that this speaker who they had hired to come and, and teach the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, man, it was like he was aiming straight for my head and my heart and my life. And over the course of that weekend, something profound was happening in me. I, I describe it as a bit of an out-of-body experience. Like I was having a hard time um, concentrating. I think there was legitimately spiritual warfare happening in that moment where I'm kind of caught in between the kingdom of God and the kingdom that I had been living for, of darkness for the last 10 years or so. And and But I, I, I start to recognize and, and, and realize that God is who he says he is. And so we went skiing on that Monday and tired. I get home, I go to bed, and I wake up on Tuesday morning. And this is 2004 by this time. It's February. So The Purpose Driven Life is this book that's just like on everybody's shelves. It's on the end caps caps at Walmart and Costco, and it's everywhere. My mom had given it to me, but I hadn't ever read it or looked at it. And I wake up on that Tuesday morning, and I roll over in bed, and the sun is shining in on my windowsill, and I see just this book all by itself on my windowsill. And I reach over and I grab it, and the first chapter, the first sentence of the first chapter says, it's not about you. And the Lord used that weekend and that sentence to just break me. And I remember it felt like two hours. I'm just in my bedroom that morning pouring. It's like a mix of grief and relief. I'm like, I'm, I'm mourning the things that I've been doing over the last 10 years. I'm recognizing that in the sight of a holy God, I'm I'm a pretty filthy dude, full of lies and greed and using people. And and but I also recognize that in light of all of that, in all in light of all of my liabilities, this holy God wants me. He's in pursuit of me. And not only that, but he's assuring me that he will cover what I have done with his own life. And that he's promising me a a new heart and a new future and a new way of life. And I was so captivated and gripped in that moment that I could not help but say yes and 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 follow him. And and so the major, major like inner transformation going on in me in that moment. And and so um, I began to like I had grown up hearing the scriptures taught, but like I get a hold of a Bible and I start going through the New Testament and it's like the thing is in full HD. Like I can smell the smells. I can see the dust kicking up. I mean, my imagination was just alive as I'm reading through the scriptures and I'm so compelled by the person of Jesus Christ and by his disciples and by his sacrificial way and by his power and his wisdom. I just could not get enough of it. And so I plug into a local church. I start going to this church out in Hayden, and I'm kind of double dipping with another uh, kind of big church that's going through the purpose-driven life stuff in Coeur d'Alene, and, um, and, and I, I end up, one thing leads to another, and I end up in some volunteer leadership at this local church, and I, I learned so much through leading a 20-somethings ministry there um, in, under some folks, but also like uh, at some point they turned it over to me, and I was kind of on my own, and I was not shepherding my own soul well. I did not know what it meant to be a a volunteer pastor of a group of 
20-somethings, and I'm still in my 20s trying to figure things out, being sanctified, and, and, uh, and, and so I learned a lot, and most of what I learned was what not to do, how not to lead a church, how not to try to shepherd a group of people, how not to, to, to ignore my own soul. And so I ended up pulling out of that after about two years, and I just decided, you know what, I don't think ministry is for me. I don't think this is for me. And, uh, and so I spent a few years just throwing myself headlong into this tile-making business that I owned in, in Hayden. And um, a high school friend, this is right before Meredith and I connected, but a high school friend had moved back from Seattle, and she had been going to this church in Seattle called Mars Hill. And if you know anything about the, the preacher there and some of the story of Mars Hill, it's like this big firebrand personality who was a pretty powerful preacher, and the Lord used him. His name is Mark Driscoll in my life, pretty, pretty phenomenally in that season. And, and I really struggle with, just for the record, where he is today and how he's doing things, and I'm not at all settled in that. And, and, but the Lord, I, I do want to say, used him mightily in my life at that time. And I hear this big God theology. She burned me CDs. We used to do that, right? She burns these CDs. I take them, I put them in my computer, and then I rip them over to the first version of iTunes, and I put them in my little iPod with the click wheel. Remember this, right? It's like a two-gig iPod. Slip it in my pocket with the cord, you know, up my shirt or whatever, and the earbuds in my ears, and I'm just like making tile in my shop. And this guy is preaching this powerful, generous, sacrificial God who comes to people to, to draw, like he does what no mere human would do. He comes powerfully to draw his enemies and make them his family. And I am just set on fire by this preaching. And he starts talking, this preacher, Mark, starts talking about other preachers and other theologians. And I start looking up their stuff. And I'm just investing like probably around two years, hundreds and hundreds of hours, just listening to God's word preached as I'm working my business day in and, and day out. I hear this Bible taught like never before. And what the Lord did in me in that moment was this, this tiny flame that's just a, a fragile ball on the end of a wick. Just the slightest little breeze feels like it could just take that flame out. The Lord used through this preaching and through his gentleness and through the time that I needed, he used this preaching to, to fan back into flame a desire within me for gospel ministry. And so I end up meeting Meredith at Starbucks. We fall madly in love. We, we, from first date to day of marriage is like 362 days. It just happens so quick to both of us. We start having a family, and, uh, and we found this little church in Coeur d'Alene um, called Lakeside that seemed to us at the time like it needed some help. And so I just show up on Sundays, I bring Gideon with me as a little guy, and, uh, and, and we're setting up chairs, and eventually I have an opportunity to start some community groups there, and I would come on staff 
part-time. And so it was just this slow progression of just, just like presence. I'm just with the local church. I'm loving my local church. And, and as we started these community groups, we started about 11 of them all at one time. They went from no groups to 11 groups instantly. And I'm like the part-time guy who's supposed to figure this stuff out. And I realize like I'm over my head. I'm completely out of my depth. And I hear about this church in Spokane that like community groups, they call them missional communities, SOMA, that they're like, this is their jam. This is what they do. And so I find some contact information on a website and I reach out to their pastor named Steve and I just say, hey, I need some help. And he's like, great, I'd love to help you. And so he started to coach me. And then around this time, he invited me into a two-year process of um, just learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, a, a growth track, essentially, over two years, just shaping what committed disciples of Jesus, like how we live and how we think about theology and how we order our lives. And, <clears throat> and, I, and I needed that. And so I would travel over to Spokane on Wednesdays one, once a week, and I would meet with this cohort of six other guys who were doing the same thing and, and just trying to just being developed. And my pastor in Coeur d'Alene said, yeah, go ahead and do that and then bring back what you to us and serve us through that. And I had considered be, becoming a lead pastor for maybe like two seconds. Meredith didn't see it. I didn't see it. I didn't have a sense that God was calling me, us, to plant a church. I'm thinking I'd be happy to be a number two guy, number three guy, four guy, five guy on staff. I just want to serve and love my local church. And um, about three to four months into this gathering, this is like 2000 and late 2013, early 2014, Steve um, brings us all in, and he scatters us throughout the building, and he just said, take like 15 minutes, go find a spot in the building, get quiet before the Lord, and ask him how he wants you to serve his kingdom, to serve your local church. All right, great. We scatter throughout this building, get quiet. I didn't hear anything in particular. The Holy Spirit revealed some sin that I was giving safe passage to in my life, and so I'm just like... In that 15 minutes, I'm saying my I'm sorry's, and please help me and give me strength to overcome this. And so the time ends, and Steve calls us all back around the table, and so we orient around this table. And then he says, hey, let's collectively as a group just take and let's, uh, let, let's ask the Lord what he's saying to us as a group. And so the guy to my left starts to pray, and he prays, and then I pray. I still remember, I was praying out of like Philippians chapter 2. Lord, give us one mind. Make us one accord together as a community. Help us to just see where we fit for the sake of your kingdom and your gospel. And I say my amen. And then in that moment, the person who's, who's to my right starts praying. And their voice just kind of, it felt like it just trailed off into the distance. And I, I, I had a vision in that moment. What kind of church is this? I, like, I, I do not have these experiences very often, have not had many of them. But there was a moment here where, the, where I, I, I saw, like a, on a TV screen, us planting a church, Meredith and I and a group of people who were not yet formed, planting a church in between Spokane and Coeur d'Alene. And it was like seeing a movie. It was intense, and I, I was tracking like where the voices in, around the table were, kind of the progression of them praying, but I wasn't really listening. I wasn't tuned in. And so it comes around to Steve, 
and he's the last one, and he says amen, and, and, and I snap out of it, and I look up at him, and he looks up at the guy to my left, and he says, are you going to plant a church? And the guy's like, no. And he looks at me, and he says, are you going to plant a church? And I was like, maybe? Like, that's literally what I said. I, I don't know. Like, maybe. And then it, we go around the room. It's like, no, no, I don't think so. No, no. You know, and, and, and I... I could not focus for the rest of that time because something, I had seen something and it was not just a daydream, it was different. I don't know how to explain it other than that. And so I drive home, I tell Meredith about it, I reach out back to Steve later that night. I'm like, dude, what the heck? Like, where did that question come from? Here's the thing. Church planting, leading a church, starting a new church, it wasn't a part of the cohort. It wasn't a part of the content. It wasn't a part of any of the discussions. It wasn't on my radar. It wasn't part of private conversations. It was out of the blue for me and for him. And he responds, he's like, man, I I was just sensing something from the Holy Spirit, so I asked the question. But he didn't know that I'm having this this moment. And so um, I, I hold on to it for a couple of weeks before I tell my pastor who I was working under back in Coeur d'Alene. And, and, uh, and I, I say, hey, like, uh, you just never know in those moments. Like, is he going to, is he going to feel like this is some competition stuff as gross as that sounds? Or, you know, like, how, like, what does this mean for us in our local church? I don't, I don't want to um, be undermining him in any way. And he's like, no, I, I think I see that. I want to affirm that. And he took it to his local elders and our local elders in Coeur d'Alene, and then Steve took it to his elders, and they all get together and they start to affirm it. Like, yeah, this is, we, we see this. And so these two previously unaffiliated churches in Coeur d'Alene and Spokane get together and have a baby. <laughs> and it's us. It's all of Life Church. And so about six months after that, we begin to form a core team, and both churches kind of open up and just say, you know what? Like, you can have anybody. Anybody that wants to go with you to plant this new work, you can have. We'll support you financially. And, and so we begin to develop this, uh, this, this small core team of like 12 adults and, and 11 kids. And around this time, I apply to Acts 29. I fill out this deep dive application that took me about 20 hours of writing and processing and then interviews and fundraising. And I did some part-time work and fundraised my salary for the next four years here in order to get things off the ground and help provide for our family and provide for this church plant. And I began just as I'm just kind of writing out this story, realizing that, that when Jesus moves in, he really rearranges the furniture. Like he changes things and it looks so much better if you and I will take our hands off of the wheel of control and let him take our vehicle where he wants to take it. I'm so grateful that he did. I was just looking at some of our um, giving as a church since about mid-2018. That's We have records from about 2018 in this software that we use. And, and as a church community, we have given over $100,000 to church planting alone. That does not count the stuff we do around here, the stuff that we give overseas to missionaries, just to seeing church plants started and established. You, as a community, have given over a hundred grand in four years. 
to this work that God is doing because this story isn't just our story. This, these stories are multiplying all over the world and we get to be a part of it. And so I just, like, that's an aside, I know, kind of out of the blue, but I'm like, man, I, w- I want to celebrate that because that's, that's our story collectively. I have not given that. We have given that. And we, we start gathering as a missional community uh, for, um, from March to September of 2015, and we, we, we drive, this community group drives every week on Sundays to SOMA uh, for some training and to worship with them. We do that for six months and then that community multiplied into two communities. And in September, we start gathering. We started our Sunday gatherings um, on Sundays at 5 p.m. Go to that next slide, if you would. It's like this impressive, impressive picture here of our very first Sunday gathering. Just like a handful of people, awkward in a room. Um, I reached out to some people that were just that were with us in those days, just asking, like, what was it that drew you in uh, to this? the Spirit of God seemed to be saying to you and doing in you? And, and Blair Hammer was part of our original core team. He's been a, a long, long time friend of mine, one of my very best friends. And he said that he had experienced such significant community leading up to this church plant that he knew that he needed a group of people to live life with who were centered around the Lord Jesus Christ rather than living as a lone wolf Christian, which he had been trying to do for years unsuccessfully. And so God used the community of his people to draw Blair into this. I I reached out to his wife, Anne, too. She came and gathered with us on our second official Sunday gathering, and she said that she committed because of this creepy old bald guy who wouldn't leave her alone. Who was Blair? Ended up being her husband. Uh, she met him, and he met her. Is in pursuit of her, and and they start to date, and they get married. Some of you in this room, like you've met your spouses here, or you've gotten married to one another since you have been a part of our community. I think about the two of you. Like you met one another in this community, and now are married, husband and wife. Like it's so so good. Um, Anne continues, she's like, I appreciated the small size of the church. She appreciated the transparency of the people and the ability to show up no matter how messy or broken she felt. This is a testimony to you. I could see an eager yearning for truth, she writes, and I believe that my primary theological convictions were matched in this group of believers. And she says, ultimately, seven years later, all of life continues to be home, and even in some of the hardest seasons of her life, she has always known that this body of Christ loved her and her family. And so she prays. She just says, I pray that as God sees fit, he brings all of us closer in deeper unity, in deeper transparency and passion for his word for many, many, many more years to come. I love my church, she writes. And we love her and we love one another. Well, that same Sunday that she shows up, she invites one of her close friends, Tracy Fouché. Anne didn't want to come alone. She knew how awkward these gatherings could be. And here's what Tracy said. Both her and her husband, Tyler, were hungry to learn and understand God's word, God's word better. And so as we're just like coming together around the scriptures, teaching through the scriptures, that, that just spoke to them in a way that they said, we need to be in on the front end of what God seems to do to be doing here. And she also said that it was Meredith's warmth that, that helped her to feel welcome. Your, your welcome, your warmth in an environment like this, it matters so, so much. We gather in more ways than just Sundays, but this is kind of the big front door to our community. And so the way that you approach people and look them in the eyes and welcome them absolutely 
absolutely makes a difference. Amy Straub, you were one of our very first, you were the first family to throw in with us and Judah, like from day one, first people to raise their hands. She says, I've grown up in church and been actively involved my entire life, but had never actually experienced close relationships or community until we decided to throw in with all of life. It was shocking and uncomfortable at first to realize that I had never experienced true community or godly, life-giving relationships up until that point. She says, over the years, I've grown spiritually and learned to be comfortable being fully known. That takes time, doesn't it? It takes time to, to, to be fully known. It takes incredible vulnerability. She says, there's so much more to say, but the biggest feeling was the Holy Spirit pushing me to be known and step out in faith to seek out life-giving community and gospel-centered relationships. We thank God for you. We thank God for you. Bonnie Stevens, you and Jeremy, you were here like early on. You probably didn't know I was going to say this, but you're here early on. And she, she, I, love, I love the simplicity of your answer. You just said, she says, we simply felt the Holy Spirit leading her and her husband here. Sometimes it's, it's a sense. It's not like some audible, inaudible voice from the sky. It's just like, a, a, it's, a, it's, it's a sense that this community is who we need to be with. And for Jeremy, he had the opportunity to use his gifts and to be trained in ways that he didn't know he needed. I needed his friendship. He had no idea that I needed that, but he's been one of just my, my very best friends. We have challenged one another. We have taught one another. We have spent hours praying together. We have forgiven one another. I'm just struck by how, God, how, how good God is to his people by bringing us together. So we gathered in this church building at uh, the Post Falls Nazarene Church for almost a year before we found this Seventh-day Adventist building, which is up on the screen. And we move in in 2016. There's about 50 people probably with us at that time. That's everybody, adults and kids. And, and I was doing some counting. And, and since our time in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we have baptized at least 26 people into the family of God. And we have experienced significant blessing together as the family of God. Like, go, oh, if it, yeah, th this picture on the screen right here, look at this horse trough. Look at the carpet underneath it. It sprung a bit of a leak that morning. I remember like, oh no, we got to find another solution to baptize in this room. So many of us, we've, we've grown significantly uh, through being a part of this community, we've developed life-changing friendships. We've spent hours and hours praying. We've matured in our theological convictions and our biblical literacy. And we've come to see that the gospel belongs in the very center of our lives. The gospel is not just the way in. The gospel is the way on for us as the people of God. It nourishes us. It's the food legitimately that we live on. Now, people, not only God's people, just people in general have big needs, many of them. And we're seeing and hearing that God uses his people to meet needs, and he uses the good news of his son to provide for our biggest needs, forgiveness and acceptance and belonging and security, just a sense to know that we are not alone. 
And so in the case of all of life, the Holy Spirit was moving Meredith and I and our church planting team in a particular direction. And we had a tiny idea of what God was up to. Our dreams were certainly way bigger um, than we were, but they're certainly not bigger than those of us who are here in this room. This is our first Sunday last week. People just coming in to celebrate and to be with one another. We gathered because we were a people longing for truth. We were longing for the reality of Jesus. We were people longing for community, recognizing that Jesus builds his church. He's the one who builds his people. We're, longing, we're people longing for beauty, redemption, right? renewal, hope. A people longing for transparency. A longing for it to be a community of honesty and resilience and longing to be a people of transformation, recognizing that Jesus does far more to us and through us than anything that we can ask, imagine, or hope for. And so where does Colossians 1 come into this picture? It's him we proclaim. This community exists because of him. He's the center of who we are because he's the center of his world. All things were created through him and for him. And so I reached out. Here's where I'll close. I reached out to a few young bloods just to see, like some of you who have come in in the last year or so, like what was it that the Holy Spirit seemed to be saying to you that made you want to embed and join yourself to this community I reached out to Rick and Shanna Friesen. Rick just writes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. First, last, and in between. So I have this sense that there was a collision of, of uh, what you had a sense you needed and what the, Holy Spirit, uh, what the Holy Spirit seemed to be providing. Rick goes on, he says, there was genuine care for our kids. We needed recognition of our need to rest and recalibrate needed unconditional space and acceptance, whatever that looked like. A real church body that was concerned with doing life together biblically and authentically. He, he finishes and just says, safety. We needed to feel safe. What drew Shanna in, she says, the love for God, his word, and his people is just so natural at all of life. No pretenses, no games. I'm grateful for that. Just genuinely authentic people who truly care and show it easily. She writes also, they didn't collaborate. We needed somewhere that felt safe, where we could heal, recalibrate, and be unconditionally accepted. And for them, joining a gospel community, joining a community group was where that was key for you and really seemed to solidify things for you. Michael, I reached out to you, and you and Hallie and the boys have been a part of our community, and you've noted a few times how your kids were a major factor. Like, you and Hallie are needing community, but the kiddos were a major factor for you. And so if you disciple kids on Sundays, you need to know that what you do matters, absolutely. Michael writes, God was also drawing our kids to himself through the children's ministry at All of Life. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Meredith. Prior to all of life, our children didn't like going to church and felt frustrated that they seemed to get watered-down messages or short stories from the Bible in their classes. And to their joyful surprise, the first story they heard at all of life was the story of Ehud, the judge that delivered Israel from an evil king by thrusting a sword so deep in his large belly that his fat closed over the blade. They loved that the teachers didn't water the story down for them. And they insisted on coming back. 
which was highly significant for us as their parents since they had been resisting church for several years. So thankful. Jason Buckingham, he writes, the church body, most of the people we met, they feel authentic. Good or bad, whatever's going on, most people seem to be real, honest, and willing to share authentically. His wife, Lindsay, says, we had just moved from the Seattle area and had been praying that the Lord would provide a church family that would be deeply committed to the gospel and see the church as a people, not just a Sunday service and activities. We literally did an internet search for Acts 29 churches in the area. If you've been a part of Calvary Chapel or 829 or a denomination, you, you know that like tribes have flavors and you know you, you can, there are certain things that you can expect and you've come to trust these. And, and for her, it was they've been part of uh, another Acts 29 church. And she says, all of life showed up in that internet search and we decided to visit the very first Sunday after we moved here. We felt peace about staying, staying here, so we didn't even visit another church. We love that this church is vibrant, welcoming, growing in gospel community and fluency, as well as a desire to reach the world through planting more churches and networking with other churches in the area. Now, here's where I'll land this morning. There's a lot to our story that I have not been able to touch on, but I want you to know, I want you to hear, I want you to remember what we are about as a community, whether you've been here since day one or whether this is week one for you, and anywhere in between, by God's grace as a community, we exist to saturate the inland Northwest and the nations with the good news of Jesus so that every man, every woman, and every child is seen, known, loved, and gospeled well. And we exist to do this for the glory of God, and this is for our good. And so we give you thanks, Jesus, for our story. We give you thanks, Father, for giving us your Son, for sending us your Spirit. We give you thanks, Jesus, that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who assures us that we are a forgiven people, that we are an accepted people, that we are a people who belong to you. And so this morning, just as we rehearse some of who we are and some of what we are about, we thank you for guiding us. We thank you for drawing us. We thank you for covering our sin and for giving us new futures and transformation. Would you do your work in this community as you see fit? Would you keep us solidly focused on the good news of your son, solidly focused on the word that you have given and preserved to us throughout the ages, that it would be our nourishment, that you would call your people to be people of the book? that we would be a people who, Holy Spirit, listen to you and develop ears to hear you speaking to us, your church, that we would develop courage and boldness to follow you in the way that you want us to go, that you would draw people out of the seats and into action for the good of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus, that you would use us to partner with other churches to take ground against the kingdom of darkness that you would use us as you see fit to, trans to help transfer people into your beloved kingdom. You would make us a welcoming and hospitable people. Lord Jesus, we, we give ourselves to you and we thank you for first giving yourself to us. We love you because you have taken the initiative and loved us. So this morning we glorify you and we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.